I recently moved, which as many of you know, means it is the perfect time to get rid of everything that does not bring you joy. And so I ended up donating a bunch of DVDs that were taking up a ton of space, DVDs that I had collected over many, many years of watching movies. And going through all of my movies brought back some serious memories and emotions tied to certain films, uh, like bonding over some tear-jerky Nicholas Sparks movies with my then-girlfriend, now wife, or remembering who I was with when I watched The Dark Knight for the first time, or how I had this really weird obsession with like all of the James Bond movies. It's good times. Part of uh, what makes movies especially good or memorable is their opening scene. It can really set the expectation for what is to come. The Dark Knight has a really good one, setting up Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Joker. Guardians of the Galaxy, also great. First time seeing Chris Pratt as Star-Lord. And Guardians, uh, initially, it opens and it seems kind of ominous. Uh, it's serious. It's like this alien wasteland and this masked gunslinger with red eyes. But then he takes off his mask, puts on some old school headphones, hits play on his Walkman, and then we get some like funky, awesome beats as he literally dances around the wasteland. At one point, snatching this like mutated alien out of midair and pretending it's a microphone. And it just it sets the tone for the whole movie. This is gonna be weird, and fun is what it communicates. Our text for today is the book of Zephaniah, and I'd encourage you to open to Zephaniah chapter one. Zephaniah sets the tone right at the beginning of the book, and it is much less fun than Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> we have been in a series going through the minor prophets of the Old Testament. And I have to say, Zephaniah has one of the most attention-catching, brutal openings of any biblical book. If you have a Bible, let's read together. It begins, The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah. Verse 2, I will sweep everything away from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast, I will sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. When I destroy all mankind on the face of the earth, declares the Lord. That is quite the opening statement. You have my attention. What it sounds like is that God is basically saying, yeah, I'm going to kill you all. <laughs> Can you imagine being on the receiving end of that? That is mega, mega intense. And so this language of I'm going to sweep away everything from the face of the earth, do you know where this language comes from? Many of you knew almost immediately because it's keying us into a very popular story, the flood narrative. Um, this happens in Genesis 6 where it says, I will wipe from the face of the earth, the human race I have created, and with them, the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. So why is God using this language kind of again here in Zephaniah? 
And I, I think that first and foremost, it's to make sure that those listening understand the severity of the situation. He's saying, do you remember the flood? It's coming again. You don't understand how bad things have gotten. You don't understand the depth of your sin. Will you wake up to your sin because God's judgment is coming? It kind of makes me wonder about us today. Do we think that God still does things like this? Would, would we know it if it was happening? Or would we be blind to our sin and blame the pain on something else or someone else's sin? Zephaniah chapter 1, 17 and 18 goes on, I will bring such distress on all people that they will grope about like those who are blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. This day of the Lord's wrath did come. Zephaniah is writing in the time of King Josiah, which is detailed in 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23. And then at the beginning of chapter 24, right after that, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded the land. So Babylon, powerful, powerful nation, came upon Israel like a flood of judgment. And God used the evil of Babylon to do this. Now the whole earth didn't perish, nor did all of Israel, but it was incredibly painful. A brutal, militaristic, and cultural war. The day of the Lord, as it was mentioned there in verse 18, is a pretty common reference in both the Old and New Testaments. The day of the Lord is the day when God will deal with evil, which is great. We all want that. We want God to get rid of evil. Wipe it away, Lord, is our common prayer, because we know what evil can be done by mankind, and we hate it. And we wish for God to act. And he says, I will. The problem, though, lies in the fact that the very evil that we hate also lives in our hearts, too. Which is why the Bible didn't end at Genesis 6 with the flood narrative. The Bible could have stopped right there if all God cared about was wiping away evil. This whole thing could have been so simple and a lot quicker if God didn't really care for us, but he does. And so now we've got like a thousand more pages after Genesis 6 to read, just like Zephaniah here. Because God desires to work in and among humans, to partner with them and in them, to set this world and everyone in it right again. So it's much more complicated than it could be. So God says the day of the Lord is coming here in Zephaniah. And that's a big problem for some folks because God is going to judge the evil that is in them. So God gives a solution in Zephaniah chapter two. Let's read what he says here. It says, gather together. 
Gather yourselves together, you shameful nation, before the decree takes effect, and that day passes like wind-blown chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord. All you humble of the land, you do what he commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. So he says, seek God, seek humility, and seek to do what is right. Three things that it's hard for us to be consistent faithfully with, but three things that God asks us to work on. And it is, it is hard to seek God when so many other things are vying for our attention every minute of every day. And it is hard to be humble when we're convinced that we are right about everything and everyone else is wrong. It is hard to do what is right, kind of for the same reason, but also because doing what is right often challenges our comforts and our convenience. And so all three of these things are fairly well summarized in the word repentance. Turn from your way of doing things. Seek God and his way. It requires humility to say that we are wrong. And I I think we all know this. We all know this. We just need reminders often. Quite some time after Zephaniah, Jesus had some long speeches about another day of the Lord. Just as it happened in Zephaniah's lifetime with Babylon, it's going to happen again with Rome. He talks about it in Matthew 24, how the temple would be destroyed. And I think what's really notable and really helpful for us making sense of all this is that in Matthew 24, he refers to these horrible things as birth pains, which naturally makes us ask, I think, what is being born? What is being born? For those experiencing all this pain and hardship in life, we, we get encouragement from the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, starting at verse 18. Let me read. It says, For I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So he says, all of creation has been suffering birth pains and is looking forward to what is to come. And the simplest way that I like to condense what it's talking about here is that what is going to be born is the new creation, the new creation. It is the restoration of heaven and earth and the restoration of human beings. The fact that this new creation is coming is at the core of Jesus' teaching. He started his ministry with repent 
for the new creation is here. And he preached the good news to the humble and lowly of heart. So just as God brought Israel out of slavery from Egypt, he now sets his sights on the core problem of evil. He would be bringing all of humanity out of slavery to sin, breaking that bondage. And Jesus is going around telling people that it is possible right now. And they can have hope for the future and hope for the present. One of my all-time favorite movies is about people who have totally lost hope for the future. That sounds kind of bleak. Um, it's a movie called uh, Children of Men. And it's set in a not-so-distant future, but in a reality where all women have stopped being able to have babies about 18 years ago. And so it's a world totally without children. Hard to imagine. And the opening scene of the movie, it really sets the stage well. It's very brutal, though. Um, it just, and it shows us this grim reality filled with violence and hopelessness. It just shows us this picture of a world with no children that has no future. And a lot of people, I think, even today, live that way. When people live like there is no future, they generally do horrible, selfish things or just lose joy completely. We get afraid when we feel like the world is falling apart. We give in to fear and speculation. And whether we're talking about no future for our children or no resurrection after death, these are what thing, things that people think, you usually get a similar result. Hedonism or depression or selfishness, all kinds of things can result from a life without hope. But Jesus wants us to know that we don't have to live that way. Even in the midst of pain, there is purpose. There is hope and there is a future. And the future reality is beautiful. The last chapter of Zephaniah gives us a glimpse of it. And it's something that we have trouble doing for ourselves and seeing ourselves. But it's something that God will do for us and in us. In chapter 3, verse 9, he says, Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. On that day, you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs that you have done, because I will remove from you your arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill but I will leave within you the meek and the humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. And he gets even more excited. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. The Lord, your God, is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with 
singing. He says, your God will be with you. He will delight in you. That is the hope that we hold on to. And it came to reality in the person of Jesus. And it will come again. And as Christians, we identify ourselves in this reality by being baptized. It's a sign of this reality happening in us. We go into the floodwaters as if having died, but being raised out of the waters as new creations. It's a new beginning, a new life, this new resurrection birthing this new humanity in Jesus. We find our hope in Jesus. That he is ushering in this new age, this kingdom of God, this new creation where we are free from sin. And it is through our death to the old way of life that we find ourselves made new. When we repent, we are reborn. Through the pain of childbirth, we are a new humanity in Jesus. And it is hard to live out this fantastic reality. But God has given us his spirit and the community of the church to help make it so. May we be born anew. The pattern for Zephaniah's time in this little three-chapter book it applies to us today. Zephaniah warns us so that we would repent and find new life and joy and hope alongside our God. Amen.